Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. We can't talk about the science and study of fraud in 2024 without talking about pig butchering scams. The term, well, it's not something I came up with, and it's not something that anyone on the fraud prevention or scam prevention side came up with. It actually comes from the Chinese expression, Sha Zhu Pan for pig butchering. Pig butchering scams are long-term con jobs that combine elements of romance scams, investment schemes, and cryptocurrency fraud. The objectionable term involves fraudsters building a relationship with their victims, metaphorically fattening the pig before deceiving them into making investments, often crypto investments, in fake business ventures before the butchering occurs or bleeding out every penny of the victim's life savings. Americans reported $3.3 billion in losses to the IC3.gov last year, but we know that these scams are grossly underreported. The AARP says that only one in 40 victims report these losses, especially to the right agency, as my guest will talk about soon. So just combining these two statistics, it's safer to say that $132 billion was stolen from U.S. households just this last year, and it's growing rapidly. So in 2024, we can expect these losses to be even more. My guest today is the best person I can think of to talk about these scams. She's Erin West. Deputy District Attorney for Santa Clara County in California in the U.S. As you'll get to hear from Erin, becoming the voice and the face of pig butchering scam awareness in the U.S. was never a career goal of hers. In fact, until a year and a half ago, she'd never heard of the scam and didn't know much about financial or tech crimes. But as she was contacted by more and more victims and heard the same heart-wrenching story over and over again, she knew she couldn't do nothing. I'm continuously in awe of what one woman has accomplished so far in this fight against a much bigger, over-resourced enemy. But she'll be the first to say that she's just getting started. To be honest, I've been trying to have Erin join me for this conversation for the last six months because I knew it would be powerful. And I know not to underestimate the work that fraudology listeners can do once they learn about a particular fraud scheme. But Erin's a very busy woman, so I am so glad that we could make this happen. And this conversation was better than I could have imagined. In addition to learning more about Erin's impressive career as an attorney for her backyard in the state of California, and more about the scheme and implications of these horrendous scams, Erin also talked about who's to blame and who's not to blame. How this scheme has two groups of victims across the world, making it very different from other scams we've seen. She talked about where the money goes, 
what victims of crypto investment scams can and should do as soon as they realize that they don't have access to their money. She also talks about some of the impacts this scam has had on Americans. And like we mentioned in our 2024 predictions, this scam has and will start expanding into other Western countries. It won't stay in the US. So the UK and other countries in Europe and across the world need to be on alert for the signs of the scam as well. And then we both talked a bit about what you as fraud fighters can do to help prevent and disrupt this rapidly growing scam. And on that note, this episode is just the first in two, hopefully three episodes on the pig butchering crisis. I'm hoping to book a professor who has been researching the perpetrators of this crime, but I for sure have already booked an episode for next week or the week after with two fraud leaders of a cryptocurrency exchange that identified how their company has been used in the scam life cycle for this type of scam. And they launched a pilot program that just in the last few months has been responsible for preventing over $8 million in losses due to pig butchering schemes by educating victims. So make sure you're subscribed to Fraudology to be alerted when that episode is released. And now it's time for you to listen to the enlightening conversation I had this week with someone who has quickly become one of my personal heroes, Aaron West. Welcome back to Fraudology. I am so excited to have today's guest here. Finally, I think I've mentioned on at least a few episodes, I'm trying to get her here, but she's been traveling the world and practically saving the world. So, so excited to have Erin West. She is the Deputy District Attorney of Santa Clara County in California, but so much more than that, just an all over badass and someone who I just look up to so much. So Erin, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm so glad to be here. I was watching you long before I got the invitation from you and was hoping that one day that invite would come my way. So I'm delighted to be here and super excited to talk about pig butchering and anything else we need to talk about. Well, and honestly, the one reason why I didn't reach out for so long is because I know what it's like to be just inundated with people asking you to speak at this and do this. And I wanted to respect your time, but I was so excited to get, you know, to coordinate this with you because this is a part of fraud and scams that I don't, you know, I don't live in. I don't know as much about, but I know that everything is interconnected and is just vastly growing. I mean, even since the first time I heard the term pig butchering, you know, maybe a year, year and a half ago, it's just, it's out of control. And it's something that we all, you know, need to need to be aware of. And I think that there's a lot of my listeners who can, you know, do more than they realize, or at least, you know, need to know more about it before realizing you know, how they can help with this too. But before we get into that, I mean, who are you? Like what led you to become, you know, what's your career path and your story to, you know, become a deputy district attorney of Santa Clara County. And yeah, just, and then we can talk about what led you into getting into scams and all that too. Yeah. I am so fortunate to be able to practice where I grew up to be prosecutor in the same county I grew up in is a real honor. I've been a prosecutor with Santa Clara County for 26 years now, and it's amazing to think that I've I've been in this same place doing this fantastic job for for that long of a period of time. So, over my career, I've done um all kinds of different jobs within the district attorney's office. They like to move you around so you stay fresh. 
And um, but what I've noticed is that that my favorite jobs within the office have always been ones where I feel like I can make a real impact for victims. I am the hate crime prosecutor for Santa Clara County as well. So I review all the hate crimes that come in because that too is um, it's a type of crime that really, really affects victims in a major way. So so that is an important role for me. I was a sexual assault prosecutor for nine years. And and there you can really see the difference in being an advocate for, for those who don't always have um, the ability to speak for themselves. And so um, eight years ago, I started working with the REACT task force. That's our county's high-tech task force. And I don't think I fully appreciated when I asked to go on that team, how, again, that was a really, I would be able to really work with victims to be able to hear them out and hopefully make some positive change for them. I didn't realize how victim-centric this would be. When I thought about high-tech crimes, I thought about, um, you know, uh, high-end thefts from, we live in Silicon Valley. I thought about, you know, thefts of of expensive computer equipment. And I thought about, um, you know, identity theft on a grand scale. But what has, where I've really been for the past five years is dealing with victims who have lost a ton of money. And being in front of the courts where they often, uh, I don't think there's always enough empathy for people who've lost all their money. And I can, I remember arguing at one point, I could tell you my victim would much rather have been, you know, in a bar fight or having his car stolen or whatever. But instead, this is where he finds himself. And it's, it's a lot more painful than if he'd been knocked out in a bar. So I, so I've been on this, this team for eight years and I've watched this team evolve into a, national, international powerhouse of detectives who really have expertise in in high tech, in using the blockchain for investigations and for being innovative and trying, coming up with ways within our, our legislative framework to be able to help our victims. So is the React team, is it local or is it now international or how does it, you know, and it's obviously a partnership between law enforcement and um, prosecutors, right? So you're working to eventually like investigate and then prosecute the perpetrators of high tech crimes, you know, whether that's identity theft or scams or others. The best thing about working with a task force in having a prosecutor embedded with that task force is that from the minute you start thinking about the case, you're thinking about how that case is going to resolve, how victims are going to be compensated and how the bad guys will be held accountable. So it's a it's a good match because along the way, every, every I gets dotted and every T gets crossed. So the task force itself, it's a local task force with detectives from a number of different agencies, but we also have some really exceptional federal partners. The Secret Service has long been a part of REACT and has really enabled us to have the international reach that that has enabled us to track down some really bad guys and to get restitution for victims. So it's a local task force and we prosecute our cases locally using the Santa Clara County District Attorney's Office. And we are able to do international crime just because of the skills that we've developed and the partnerships that we've we've established. That's amazing. When you're talking about, you know, having it be important that there's a prosecutor embedded in the task force so that you're thinking about those things and not just the investigation and handing it off to someone else who's then going to have to pick it up and, you know, reacquaint themselves with the case and all that. I was thinking there really needs to be a law and order financial crimes, but maybe that 
Maybe that's just the nerd in me. I'm sure all your listeners would tune in. <laughs> we would all watch it, I'm sure. If it was accurate. I know uh, CSI tried to have CSI Cyber for like a season and it was so beyond not accurate that it was frustrating to try to watch. <laughs> but uh, I know a lot of people who could come up with a lot of good storylines for, you know, for good episodes. That's for sure. Oy. So, you know, it must have been in your work with the React team that you first heard about crypto scams. When was the first time that you really heard the term pig butchering? I can tell you exactly. It was in March 2022. And I was in a meeting with the detectives and they were talking about cases that they currently had. And one of the detectives looked at me and he said, well, have you heard of pig butchering? And I was like, no. He said, um, because that's crazy. Right. Bacon? Like, what? No. <laughs> you know, what does it have to do with this? <laughs> right. And then he told me about the case and he said, but, you know, the trouble with these cases is that our suspects are overseas and the and the money is going overseas. And what's interesting about pig butchering is that is there's been such an evolution of our ability to make changes in that. That when we first started looking at these cases, the idea that the money was overseas was a limiting factor. And we didn't, and I think it's crucial to know, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about when I talk about this, is that just because the money goes overseas doesn't mean it's irretrievable. And, and that what stops a lot of law enforcement. And and I, I've read it in so many uh, police reports of like, well, and then the money went overseas, so we're done. And And that's what React has been able to prove in the past year and a half is that if it goes overseas, that yes, that can be an obstacle, but it's an obstacle that can be overcome and it continues to be overcome. And the reasoning behind that is that we have crypto exchanges that are more and more interested in doing the right thing and making victims hold and getting whole and getting dirty money off their platform. And so I remember that it was March 22 that I first heard about this, and it was April 2022 when I went to Chainalysis Conference in New York City. And I remember meeting um, Erin Fricoli from Binance and thinking uh, and telling her, like, I haven't heard great things about Binance. And she's like, well, we're working to change that. And and it was at that time that that Aaron was there and Tigran Gambarian was hired, former federal investigator. And that that turn of of Binance deciding that they wanted to be more law enforcement compliant and friendly at this scale at at making victims whole was a game changer for being able to help victims of pig butchering. Because in was when we could track cryptocurrency to Binance and present them with a valid search warrant, even though the Binance is not headquartered in the United States and does not have to submit to our authority, they agreed to do it. And that was a game changer. That's how we, that's what enabled us to seize money for pig butchering victims and to ask a judge for the authority to return it to them. And at that time, so Binance did that. And then OKX became the next obstacle. OKX is another exchange headquartered outside the United States. And we thought, well, when it goes to OKX, that's a dead end. But since then, OKX has become compliant. So what I do see is tre- is trends in terms of cryptocurrency exchanges wanting to be helpful when it comes to pig butchering victims. Yeah, well, and I had told you uh, before we recorded, and it'll just be a little bit of a preview for my listeners in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have 
two just amazing uh, fraud leaders for a crypto exchange who have implemented a pretty amazing program to try to actually prevent pig butchering from happening in the first place. Because, you know, what you and your team have gotten good at is being able to trace the money because it's on blockchain, you know, being able to um, try to recover it because there's so much money going in. These groups don't have, they aren't, you know, shifting it, moving it off platform as quickly as sometimes you guys can get to it. And so there's an advantage there, but, you know, an ounce of prevention is always going to be worth a pound of cure. And so, you know, being able to have those crypto exchanges be wanting to, you know, get this dirty money off their platforms to not have victims associate crypto with, you know, the theft of their life savings is really important. That's huge that you've been able to build those partnerships. Yeah. And I'm dying to hear your next podcast where we can hear what's going on. And <laughs> I, I like to learn. Good- yep. And I'm 100% going to make an introduction after that happens too, because I just know that you will become fast friends. So traditionally, when someone's a victim of pig butchering or this particular scam, and they're outside of Santa Clara County, what happens? I mean, what what happens, I guess, you know, kind of maybe the short story for them to lose their money? And then what happens when they lose it? Who can they turn to? Who do they traditionally try to call? Or do they know what they can do? I think you've identified a number of their challenges. Number one, it is an absolutely gut-wrenching moment when these victims come to understand that not only are they not in a relationship with who they thought they were, that they also have lost all their money. And so um, there is the ideal world and there is the world that exists today. And so um, in the world that exists today, what they need to do first thing is go to their local police department. And and in the ideal world, they will be met with someone who understands this crime and is there to help them. But what's really happening and what they're seeing at the moment is they're probably going to go to their local police department and meet with someone who's never heard of pig butchering before. And all the talking I do and all of the talking that my friends in this business do, we are still just hitting a fraction of the police departments that need to understand what's going on with their victims out there. So our victims are generally being met with people who don't understand them and actually may not be very empathetic to them and may tell them things that aren't correct, like your money's gone or this is a civil matter. So what I would urge for victims is to have a healthy amount of victim advocacy, which can be difficult when they are in this situation, but they do need to advocate for themselves a bit and they need to say that they want to talk to a financial crimes investigator and they want to explain to them that this is an international epidemic and they need to have a report made on that. And the reason why it's important that they press forward with their local PDs is because local PDs need to understand how big this problem is. And if they walk away and don't press forward with their case, then local PDs aren't going to notice what a big problem this has. And I'll give you an example of that. So at React, we are made up of detectives from different agencies. And Brad Smith is one of our sergeants. He's from a city that I won't mention. But Brad Smith, when he came to React, was like, well, we don't have any cases like this. And when he first started looking at these cases, he said, we don't have these cases in my city. And then he went back to his city and he started looking at what had been what had come in from patrol and what had been brought in from the desk and the front desk. And he was like, oh, my gosh, 
these people are coming in and they're being turned away. People aren't handling it because they don't understand. So we need to push forward with our local PDs to make sure that they are understanding that this is a problem. The second thing they need to do for sure is to report federally to IC3.gov. And I want to set some reasonable expectations here. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because I've been setting reasonable expectations about IC3.gov for a while on on the corporate side as well. Uh, So I can only imagine. But yes, please do set those reasonable expectations. So (laughs) IC3.gov is the FBI. And if you are the Pollyanna that I was a year and a half ago and thought, well, when you report this to the FBI, it's going to it'll get immediate action. Unfortunately, with this particular crime and with many crimes out there, the demand exceeds the ability to investigate these cases in one-off cases. And it's just that speaks to the flood and the scale and the magnitude of this enemy we're facing. But why it is important is it will allow us to be able to wrap our arms around how big this problem is. And so for every time, for every victim that reports to IC3, that gives the federal government yet another another little tap of like, hey, still a problem, still a problem, still a problem, and enables the FBI and other federal partners to determine how much, how many resources to put on this problem. So it's imperative that we make those reports just so they know how big the problem is. Again, the realistic... It's not going to help anyone. They're not going to call you. And I can show you email after email of victims saying, I reported to the FBI and I'm still waiting for them to call me. And you will still be waiting for quite some time because they're not going to call you. And so I have pretty definite opinions about this too. And I feel like my definite opinions are the federal government's job in this is to look at the major problem and to look that we've got a huge organized crime problem on the other side of the world. And the local governments, our local PDs, our job is to help our victims. And our job is to be able to be as ready as we can be when a victim comes through the door to get the appropriate information from them that we need in order to pursue that case. And so that means we need to we need to have someone at the desk who understands to ask for a transaction hash, to ask for a deposit address so that when that does get passed on to someone who knows what to do with it, the information is at hand. I know I've been promising to tell you more about SPEC and why I invited them to sponsor episodes of Fraudology. And there's actually so many things that I want to tell you and will tell you over the next several weeks. But the first thing I wanted to make sure that you hear about is their trust cloud. SPEC's trust cloud protects the integrity of the digital user while simplifying the risk process. It allows you to discover insights across the entire digital user experience. It allows you to catch attacks early. With access to full visibility, you can scan visitor behavior across their entire journey to catch the risk patterns that traditional fraud check APIs miss. Visualize the flow of attacks, identifying areas to catch them early, and leaving bad actors with nowhere to hide. It also allows you to start each journey with instant trust. You can boost platform integrity by instantly welcoming return customers to their personal account experience, while your trust platform invisibly screens for signs of compromise and abuse. It also allows you to remove friction for good customers and increase conversions. By using a single source of truth, you can detect evolving fraud attacks and identify conversion drop-offs and optimize your payment strategy. The bottom line is when you're able to 
to see every customer's behavior from the moment that they enter your website until the time of checkout or when they open up a new account. You can identify that before the fake account is made, before the transaction is even made, and now you've got a fraud transaction in your platform. It's honestly game-changing, and I'm really excited for more people to learn about it. So to learn more about Spec and this new technology, and especially their Spec Trust Cloud, go to www.specprotected.com. you've got your work cut out for you because there's, you know, thousands of different local police departments out there and (laughs) they all have varying levels of understanding of the internet. I will never forget some of the, you know, police officers that are detectives that would contact me when I was, you know, on the front lines of fraud fighting. And uh, I remember one time it was like the identity theft task force of New York city. And so I assumed that they were like really knew their stuff, but it turned out that was where detectives went to like, you know, if, if they had a physical, if they weren't able to work on the, the beat or like, you know, kind of where they went to retire. And there was a guy saying, you know, I just, I can't understand, you know, this credit card was uh, used on an IP address in Idaho. And then an hour later, it was used on an IP address in Texas. And I can't understand who's there. And I'm like, well, they're probably using a proxy, you know, an IP proxy. And he's like, what is that? And I, he then hangs up and he says, can I call you back with my supervisor? I'm like, sure. I mean, I didn't think I was saying anything revolutionary. This was, I mean, this was probably 13, 14 years ago. But still, to me, that was just common sense. How can they do that? How can they be in two different places? I mean, isn't it the IP address is like a phone number, right? So how can you do it? Well, you can do call forwarding, you know, so it just so just from that little experience I have, I know that's, you know, a lot to educate. But at the end of the day, there's people who are losing their life savings who are devastated, and they may not be saying the same terminology that you know, every, it may be someone heard once. And so, oh, that's pig butcher. No, they have to kind of know the signs. So what are those signs when, you know, what does it look like when there's a pig butchering scam? You know, what, what are the things that the victims are going to talk about? I and mean, whether you want to share like a specific story or just kind of that the headlines. What's interesting about a pig butchering story, at least to date, is that they don't change. The pig butchering story is the pig butchering story. And I, when I was first started presenting about pig butchering, I, I talk about a, a phone call I got on the 4th of July where somebody reached out and was like, do you do, do you still do crypto? Could you talk to me about a case? And it was like, I already knew what she was going to say before she said it. And what she was going to tell me is that somebody met someone online and that, that, that person then moved the conversation to WhatsApp. And then when you're looking at how these stories go, they're they're very similar. There are scammers are going to reach out in one of four ways. They're going to reach out in what appears to be a wrong number text. I know we've all gotten those on our phones. Um, a wrong number text, or they're going to show up on LinkedIn as someone who would like to meet you. They're going to show up on Meta in any form, and they're going to show up in dating apps. And so dating apps make it even more difficult to screen because you're actually there to meet people. So they're going to show up in that way and they're going to start a conversation. They're going to immediately get off that platform and they're going to move it to WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram. And then over the next 90 days, they are going to show you, they are going to shower you with love and compliments and become the exact relationship you wished you had. 
And at that same time, showing you this enviable lifestyle that shows them as somebody with means and and that seems to have their financial life in order. And then from there, they will suggest that you uh, make an investment in cryptocurrency like they did. And they'll tell you that they didn't understand it either, but their uncle taught them and their uncle will teach you. It's always an uncle. It's always an uncle. It's always an uncle. And then they will they will encourage our victims to um, invest, to put their U.S. dollars into a crypto exchange like Coinbase. From there, they'll teach them how to transfer the U.S. dollars into USDT, a stable coin. And from there, they will teach our victims how to move the stable coin into an investment site. And when those those who are not that familiar with pig butchering will hear that story and they'll latch on to that investment site. And then they'll put out, you know, in the list of like, has anyone heard of this investment site? And it's not about the investment site. When the, the investment site is fake and the money's gone at that point, but that's what, and our victims at the end of the day will have been encouraged to liquidate every account they have and put it into this fake site. So when you hear this story, you're looking for things like that. You're looking for a new friend from a, met electronically, a, a a long courtship period where there's been no physical meeting. You're looking for a suggestion of investment in cryptocurrency and a, a real belief from our victims that A, they're in love, this person is real, and they are rich. They've made a lot of money and they just need to get their money out of that. There must be something wrong with the browser or the platform because they just need to get their money out of it. Definitely sounds like from everyone I've talked to who who has talked to, you know, victims of these type of scams, it's actually very difficult to convince them that they are a victim of a scam until the money's gone long before, you know, hey, you know, how did you meet or, you know, how did you... None of that, they either won't tell you the true story or, you know, we'll downplay it. Or you could even say, you know, that sounds really suspicious. And oh, but this is different. It's so hard and sad. It's so interesting that you say that because number one, that speaks so highly to the psychological terrorism that is being exacted on our victims. And it's funny, I've talked to some experts and they're like, it's a lot like the domestic violence. Um, you know, this the feelings of someone in a domestic violence situation who's not willing to see it for what it is. But but the, you're, what you're saying is exactly right. And I could give you story after story of children of a parent who's involved in this. And they'll say, my dad is convinced that this 35-year-old woman is in love with him and is going to come marry him and will not hear otherwise. And yes, and I'll be like, oh, well, give him articles about pig Oh, I did that. And he says, yeah, he understands that, but he, that's not him. He's in a relationship. And it, it really is psychological terrorism. I think that's one of the best ways of putting it. And, you know, I think a lot of people have heard of romance scams and, you know, pig butchering is, can be a form of that, but there's a lot of, you know, platonic relationships that are made like this way as well through pig butchering. And, you know, they meet on, you know, LinkedIn, maybe it's a business relationship or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not thinking at first that it's, you know, going to be a, a relationship scam. And so people don't think about that, right? Because I think everybody has heard of the Nigerian prince and they know that that's not real, but they don't understand that someone who accidentally, you know, texts the wrong phone number to someone about plans is just going to suddenly become your new BFF and help you, you know, become rich. It's just, it, but it's, it seems like 
the way that this scam has been developed, they have done a lot of really good research on, you know, people in the United States or in Western countries and how they can trust people and how they can, you know, really dig their heels in and not want to admit that they were a victim themselves. It's amazing. It's an amazing feat and really speaks to the level of sophistication of the enemy here. Also is a problem for us in terms of the complete humiliation that our victims feel when they realize this, and it makes them not apt to report. So it's so, I mean, there are plenty of plenty of crimes that are underreported, but this is among the highest because of the humiliation of not only did I fall in love with someone who wasn't real, but then I willingly transferred every penny I had. And so when we hear 3.3 billion from IC3 last year in online investment fraud, we know that is such a small portion of what's really out there. And and so it, the level and the volume and the magnitude of this is nothing we've ever seen before. No, I, I think you're 100% right. And it is, you know, from what I know of that other side, there's a lot of money and time and attention and obviously, you know, human trafficking and, and other things that are going into it you know, as the new drug trade, you know, this is the new, this is the new cocaine crisis of the 80s. It's, you know, this is the money that's being used to prop up organized crime in Southeast Asia. And, you know, really, in some cases, you know, shadow governments. I mean, I feel like I should reach for my tinfoil hat when I say words like that, but I know I'm not wrong. I mean, I have read a lot of the same reports that you have and and know, you know, not even as many, um, but know that it's really, really scary at what it's funding and, you know, where it's going and just how they're getting, they're exploiting, you know, good, trusting people to pay for really gross stuff. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> I And I love to hear someone other than me saying it and putting it so plainly because I remember when I first identified this as what it was and it, it's Chinese organized crime syndicates and that's who is running this in Southeast Asia. And we know that. We know that because uh, Al Jazeera has done significant investigation in this area and has pointed out all the all the ties between governments and owners and people whose names are on on the properties where this stuff is being done. So we we know that that's what this is. And we know how big the numbers are and we know that these are happening in the same place as the Golden Triangle and the, the huge drug trade and, the, and all the trafficking. And we know about the animal trafficking that's going on there. We know about the human trafficking. And what, what I really have become, I remember when I first started this, I was really in the mindset of like, this is a horrible crime. And this is something that's really horribly happening to victims worldwide on this. But the more I look into that, the more I, I realize that we've got a massive security issue. We've got a massive transnational organized crime issue. We've got a massive transfer of wealth and it's happening household by household into the hands of bad actors that are doing bad things with it and are buying weapons with it and who are who are running uh, wars in Myanmar with it. 
And so I really can't be vocal enough about not just sitting here and watching this happen and not stepping, not taking one more house on my street or one more person from my grocery store's money that this has got to stop. And you mentioned the Nigerian prince and you're right. We all know the Nigerian prince is a, is a fake. And now we've got to let our friends, family, relatives, person next to us on the airplane, anybody that we come into contact with know about this. I, I so I I had a, I got a haircut the other day and I it was I was out of town and so somebody else did it and I of course took that opportunity to educate about pig butchering and she's like, "Why have I never heard of this?" And I was like, "Because those of us who know about it know about it." Those of us who are like now, I feel like AML is strong on this. Banking industry knows about this. A little bit of law enforcement knows about this. But, you know, who doesn't know about it is, you know, the people at your church and the people at your kid's school. The person cutting your hair. Yeah. And they're not expected to know about it. And so that's why it's funny. You mentioned CSI earlier. And I don't know if we were on or off camera, but we talked We were talking about um, TV that handles these. And somebody texted me the other day and was like, Magnum P.I., and I was like, Magnum P.I. I actually, yes, I heard about that too. Yeah. Yes. Magnum P.I. did a paint picturing episode. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for starting to normalize this and get this in the hands of people who, who, and if anybody, I want to put this out here because I know you'll support this. You know, Andy Cohen from Bravo. Just yes. Fraud. Mm. I want to put yes. a person, reach out to Andy Cohen. If anybody's such a big fan. Andy Cohen talks to people I need I need to hear the message and Andy Cohen talks to people who love who just people that 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 love crazy housewives drama but they're they're normal people and they need to know about pig butchering and so if anybody knows how I'm in touch with Andy Cohen I would love to have an opportunity to talk to him about being a spokesperson for fraud, online fraud. I am I am so with you on that. Like he first shared about it on a radio program that I listened to frequently. And um I really wanted that was when I wished that I had Instagram so I could DM him and say, hey, here's the thing. Like there's no liability for you on this. And please tell everyone that there that your bank isn't there's no there's no parachute for you. Like there's and you know, I was actually surprised that his and he said which bank it was at one point. I'm not gonna bring them up, but I was surprised that that bank didn't take care of him because oftentimes they do for high wealth people. But he has been he's kind of become like the spokesperson for scams. And it's so important because people need to know. And I you couldn't be more right that there's this shame that comes from being a victim of financial crime. Three point three billion seems like very little compared to how much I I mean, you're so right. I would maybe say maybe 10% if that I'm sure it's got to be in the trillions with how much we know. I always say it's it's at least 10 times that it's at least 33 billion last year. But AARP will say one in 40 report. I don't know. I don't know what that number is. But I'm it's got to be at least 10 x. And I sure didn't mean to cut you off when you're talking about oh Disability no, my gosh, no, I get very excited about it too. I am, uh, you know, I am not ashamed to say that I enjoy watching what my husband calls trash TV at night to shut my brain off. So um, I'm a big fan of his and also just really even more so a big fan of his because he he talked about it and he made it seem like, okay, you know, if he and, it, you know, it happened just he was doing a million things and it was quick and OK, my bank called and this happens. And, you know, absolutely. And these are all things, types of fraud and scams that we all, you know, talk about in our circles. But you're right. I mean, 
how hard it is to get everyday people to care about this, right? How hard it is for if you or I came out and we have come out, I mean, you've been in some, you know, great publications recently talking about pig butchering. You know, I've been in a couple myself and um, not a pig butchering, but other types of scams, whether it's credit card fraud or, you know, identity theft, etc. And not many people read those articles. And, you know, I don't necessarily blame them. I don't read articles about some another industry that I'm not a part of. But at the same time, they have to know because there is no safety net. And to your point, we're not just talking about, you know, a little bit of theft here and there. It is transnational cybercrime. And it is scary what it is paying for and doing and contributing to. I don't know if you saw that just this week, and I wanted to get the right numbers, but um, that NASDAQ, actually, the CEO of NASDAQ spoke out. I was going to, and I didn't have the number at the tip of my tongue. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I um, I shared it on LinkedIn because I was just so shocked. It, whenever we see anyone outside of our circle talking about this, it's like, yes, yes finally. Yes. Um, they said that in 2023, more than $3 trillion in illicit funds flowed through the global financial system, according to NASDAQ's research. The breakdown is... billion in drug trafficking activity, $346.7 billion in human trafficking, $11.5 billion in terrorist financing. And in addition, there were $485.6 billion in losses from a range of fraud scams and bank fraud schemes worldwide. So that's the breakdown of the $3 trillion. It's just absolutely, you know, I would imagine that combination of human trafficking and miscellaneous fraud scams and bank fraud would be where you would find pig butchering. I would think so. I would think so. And those numbers track, they track with other things. They track with those numbers that Chainalysis has dropped. They track with numbers that TRM has dropped. They track, it's, it's massive. And where is all that money? Yeah, well, right. And that's, you know, and, and I think, you know, we've touched on it a little bit, but I think it's important to know that oftentimes the people who are on the other end of those text messages and those, you know, WhatsApp messages and others are often victims of human trafficking. They are being forced to do this against their will in horrible conditions, Um, you know, more about that than I do, but it's, this is a, a type of fraud where both sides are victims, but the people up above who are really, you know, pulling the strings on the side in Southeast Asia are, they're the ones who are profiting off of this. They're the ones who are doing it. So it's not the person who's reaching out to you. It's whoever they work for, or really, you know, who has turned them into modern day slaves. It's so interesting to hear you say the same things that I've been saying over and over and over, where we've got victims on one side, victims on the other side, and the only people profiting are these horrible, horrible bad actors that are using the money for horrible, horrible things. I think that's one of the most compelling things about this crime, actually, is that usually there's one bad guy and one good guy. And here, um, you know, it's, it's really us against them. It's like they're they're bad guys and and they're just taking advantage of everybody. They're using everybody in any way to further their crime. And I think that this whole uh, one of the things I've learned, I was I was really fortunate enough to be able to go to Southeast Asia and talk to some of the NGOs who are on the ground floor over there. And what I learned about the manipulation of these victims was significant because I was pretty brief, pretty well briefed on what our local victims are suffering. So I talked to 
so many of them, but they talked about these the in these compounds, like the the crazy brainwashing that goes on there, where they have like slogans on walls about like be better today, move forward, like just all these crazy like making it as though this is an actual real business and and like do your best and 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 craziness but it just again speaks to the level of psychological manipulation that they've been able to to build these beautiful websites that appear very real offering what appear to be very real attractive jobs with room and board and you know these poor people who are facing unemployment in their country of origin and just looking to to survive and send some money home and now they find themselves and locked in a cage and forced to and forced to develop relationships with people and then use it against them. I mean it's just the worst of the worst you can't imagine what goes through their brain when they are forced to act in that in that fashion it's just the whole thing is so distasteful it really is and I mean never when I started out in you know financial crime and, and fraud, you know, I don't know, almost 20 years ago, like I knew that it touched some bad things, right? I knew that the terrorists in 9-11 stole credit cards. I knew, you know, and that they purchased them online. I knew that, you know, there are a lot of things that are done with stolen money, but not to this extent. You know, I think that highlighting pig butchering is so important because it touches so many different industries. I yell at Bigger Levine as someone who we both know, and I had her on the podcast last year, and she was talking about knowing your company's place in the scam life cycle. Mm. And, you know, knowing if your company is the one that is being used for, you know, the financial piece, or is it being used for reaching out to victims? Or oh. are they the ones that they're taking you to your platform? You know, are you WhatsApp in this case or signal or, you know, how is your company being used for a scam? And then what can you do to stop it? Whether you have financial liability of that, of that specific transaction or that specific act, it doesn't matter where does it lie. And so knowing your company's your place on the scam life cycle can help you help prevent this problem and help make it you know harder for them to do because right now they're just you know using whoever's platform for however they want and it's breaking trust with your users but it's more than anything it's detrimental to families and to people and i know there have been you know losses of life due to this i know there have been you know marriages broken up and other really sad things for the victims who have saved every penny and lost it all pretty quickly. I'm not surprised that Ayala would come up with terminology that's so fitting and a classification that is excellent. I think that you've hit on a number of points. And one of the first points is that everybody has a piece of this pig butchering solution because we're all touched by it in some way. And whether your piece is to educate people that you know, or whether your piece is as a police officer to to try and understand what this typology is so that you see it, or even more to be able to help a victim, or maybe you work in social media, how your company is being used, that everybody has an opportunity here. Maybe you are in the federal government. Maybe you are a diplomat. Maybe you have international connections. There's a million different ways. Everybody has something that they can do today to make it a little more difficult for these bad actors to continue to do it. And I think what you said is so important about the why. Because when I first started talking to social media and talking to them about 
we've got a really big problem and I need your help because you are enabling this to be an on-ramp. And they really didn't like that terminology. And I understand that, but but in in my view of it, there are there are a limited number of ways they're going to access our victims and they're using your platform to do that. And at first my and my approach was you need to do this because what's happening is bad. When you meet with with companies like that, you're going to butt up against they have a responsibility to their users to make sure that they're not unfairly banning them for the platform. And they also have a responsibility to the the company that it's a business. And so they're not, our agendas don't always align. But I think that the pig butchering has now risen to the level that there becomes a moral imperative to make some changes. That yes, you're going to, it may be more expensive. Yes, you may kick off a couple of innocent users in the process, whatever. But the moral imperative here is that if we aren't part of the solution, we're part of the problem at this point. And we have got to make changes and we've got to make changes that are difficult. And we've all got to put in a little bit more and take it a little more seriously because they're taking it seriously. They're on a 24 hour a day project over there with they are well funded. They are well organized. They are experiencing no friction whatsoever. And they're not stopping. And we're talking about this in silos and we are, uh, there's just very small amounts of coordinated effort being done. And, and that's just not going to move the needle and help and protect our nation, our world, our way of life from organized crime. Because right now, today it's pig butchering, but transnational organized crime isn't going anywhere. And once pig butchering is done, they're going to be on to the next. So we have to keep at this. Yeah. Yeah, and we've seen it. I mean, my listeners are probably aware of, you know, who Shoshana Marini and I dubbed the master manipulators last holiday season. They targeted almost every large online retailer you can think of during the holiday season and had through a reshipping scheme. And basically, well, there were two different types. One was triangulation, one was reshipping, but, um, you know, sending items to various uh, states in the U.S. that are ports, especially in the states that don't have sales tax and um, having, you know, small mom and pop, you know, nail salons or other, you know, Southeast Asian owned businesses receive them, repackage them in boxes, send them to Asia and then sell them for a higher price. And these were all on stolen cards. And it was a very coordinated attack. I have never seen anything like it. The only reason we even knew that it was happening you know, to this retailer and that retailer and that retailer, and that it was all the same people was because they all contacted me and said, hey, are you seeing this? And all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's like 50 of you. Let's all get on a call together and talk about, you know, the type of devices they're using and what they're doing and, you know, how one company is finding them so another company can find them. So, I mean, I felt like I had, I mean, I didn't have one, but I could have had like a murder board on my office wall of all of the connections because it was in my head that way. I've just like, okay, it, it was crazy. It was like I was overseeing a task force of of my own, but just trying to prevent it from happening. Um, and you know, they weren't super sophisticated, but if, you know, if you didn't know what it was, it could very much blend into regular peak holiday traffic. And that's exactly what they did last year. And I have no doubt that they'll be back in another way. I think now they've probably gone back to peg butchering just from what I've been able to, you know, gather from the companies that I know of, but it's only a matter of time. You are blowing my mind. And that really calls for a national visibility 
of the fraud that's being perpetrated in our country. Oh, yeah. Right? You know this because people know you, but I consider myself pretty well-versed in what's going on fraud-wise, and I don't know anything about this. I heard from April. April's a big triangulation person, isn't she? Yes. Well, and because of the episode that I did on, on this podcast about that, yes. Yeah, she got involved and it's amazing. And I only wish I could help so much more uh, with what they're doing there at, you know, at FR Isaac or the ISAC. It's incredible. But yeah, it's because of this group. I just got on the podcast. I was like, I've never seen anything like it. And here's, you know, here's what's happening. I have been, I've been convinced over the last six months. I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner that, and the UK is doing something similar, but that in the US, especially, there's a need for a whole new federal law enforcement agency that focuses on cyber crimes. There's such a huge need for it. And, you know, the, where they're coordinating. And yes, I mean, I I know people that work at IC3 and I know that they're doing the best that they can. Being able to track it is important. Being able to look for overlaps and look for trends and being able to report out on that is very important. But we also need a single agency, not just, you know, the U.S. Secret Service does this much and the FBI does that much. And, you know, these guys do over here and local does some. And I just, I can't scream it from the rooftops more that I really believe that we need some kind of a cyber you know, federal law enforcement agency. We are yet again singing the same song where we need (laughs) government approach to this. And we need a plan. We need someone with accountability and oversight and the, and quite frankly, the interest and bandwidth to make it happen. I think that- And the knowledge, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not the sexiest topic, some people think. Some people who are in it think it is the sexiest topic and Mm -hmm. would be very interested in, in doing this work. But, you know, part of my personal agenda for this year is to really raise the consciousness about the importance of understanding understanding this transnational economic crime and the fraud. And it it tracks exactly with what you're saying of it it doesn't make any sense for our victims to report to five different places and really nobody's accountable to do any work on it at all. We just need a better system. We need to get our shit together because the other side has theirs together and, and they're kicking our asses. Oh my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> they are running circles around us. They are running circles I don't know around us to say it. <laughs> just simply well, that's like true. That's <laughs> the truth. And at some point you have to stand up and and just say, you know what, we're better than this. We are a smart, we're a smart group of people that really do have some resources if we put the resources into this. Yeah. Well, and I know that my, my listeners represent some of the biggest companies in the world. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I've been absolutely blown away by some of the initiatives they've done. You know, Karen at, uh, Fair Isaac being one of the, or FS Isaac being one of them, being that, you know, taking some initiatives on some of these things and really sinking their teeth into it and saying, how can we help? And, you know, that's, I think, the first step. And, you know, I, just bringing it back to you a little bit, I know that you never set out to become the face of the fight against pig butchering. Um, I never really set out to become, you know, the face of uh, the e-commerce and, and uh, you know, financial institution fraud fight either. But <laughs> I think some of us aren't good at staying in our lane or, you know, knowing our place when no one else is doing something about a problem that we see. It's like, well, no one else. Well, why not me? Right. I mean, somebody's got to do it. And I know that you've essentially created a whole other job for yourself on top of being a deputy district attorney for a very large and, you know, 
population wise, as well as, you know, just, yeah, you're in Silicon Valley, the biggest state in the US. And so as far as population goes, and so I mean, you're busy, but you've created a whole other job for yourself, just trying to get the word out, right? And I'm so in awe of that. So can you tell me a little bit about Operation Shamrock? I remember your very first post about it. And I, uh, unfortunately, I was underwater in my own stuff. Um, so I didn't reach out, but I remember seeing it and going, oh, this is going to do big things. Like I knew it already. Um, and it just started with a LinkedIn post, didn't it? It did. It did. And thank you. Uh, thank you first. Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind things that you said. And thank you for, thank you for getting it. Because I, with Operation Shamrock, the story is I had been in this pig butchering business for about a year. And I, I found a lot of pieces of it so frustrating. And I felt like I kept sort of waiting for someone else to take charge and and thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a local prosecutor with other cases to do. And, 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 and this isn't in my job description at all. But I cannot sit here and take calls from victims all day, every day, getting no help and not seeing any type of national or international movement to try to fix things. And so it was March, and I was thinking of all the things that I had been talking about on LinkedIn, which were educate, seize, disrupt. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a, that's like a try thing. It's like three things. It's, it's Mar- you know what? Shamrock, Shamrock. It's Shamrock. It's Operation Shamrock. So on on March 17th of last year, it was my first posting about Mark- Operation Shamrock. And um. It's you, you hit the nail on the head. Like sometimes things choose you. And I didn't, I didn't set out to be, uh, I, I never, th- I never thought I would be this person, but it's interesting. I've, I've written about this in LinkedIn too, how your interests as a child and as a young college student, you never get so too far from them. And my graduate oh. <laughs> degree is in broadcast journalism and international oh. relations. And I find it so interesting <laughs> that I haven't done anything with international relations my entire career. You're As a local prosecutor, you are very focused on your backyard. And now all of a sudden, I'm really involved in the, in the international intricacies of how different countries exist and are allowed to exist in different ways and, and the where we all fit on this globe. And then having, you know, the, the journalistic instinct in me to tell that story and to to figure out a means to get that story out. It really all comes together. So I found myself with an interesting story to tell and a compelling story to tell and an important story to tell because it all leads back to, again, my, my career in law enforcement, which is about helping victims. And so if, if I can put all of that noise together and, and make a soup out of it and it, and it helps victims, then, then I feel like the universe has led me to exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I, I feel very lucky and I feel very grateful to my office that they have not only allowed this, but encouraged it and really have, you know, have been, have been proud of me and proud of the work that I've done. And I, I don't know that that would happen in every office. So I'm great. My district attorney, Jeff Rosen, and I'm grateful to the team at my office that's enabled me to do this work. That's huge. I could imagine that there, you know, could be some offices that would say, no, you need to focus on your own backyard or, you know, that's not what we're paying you to do. But you know, focusing on education, on providing, you know, education to law enforcement and to any group that will listen, 
even your, you know, your random hairdresser in a new town, right? Like I've, <laughs> I've been there. Sometimes I hesitate to tell people what I do because then I'm going to hear about, you know, the time that they got their credit card stolen and the check stolen or so. But then again, you know, it sometimes it's helpful because I can give them a couple of hints or, you know, helpful tips to not do it again. And, but sometimes, you know, whenever, whenever anyone asks me what I do, if my husband or my daughter are around, they just kind of look and they like go walk off somewhere because they know it's going to be a while. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yep, here we go. I'm like, here sometimes I just wish it was easy for me to say, like, I'm a nurse and everybody just knows what that is and I don't have to explain it. <laughs> but you, know, you never know, right? Education can come in so many different forms. Um, and so, you know, Operation Shamrock, you really focus on and you close out every LinkedIn post with educate or educate, uh, seize and disrupt. And so, you know, education, seize the money that you can through React and through blockchain, you know, investigations and um, I know that there's some great technology out there that allows uh, law enforcement and others to be able to track the money and then get, you know, the proper legal authority to retract it back. Um, and you can't do that for every victim. And I'm sure it's really hard, but at least you can do what you can and then disrupt. And that's where I feel like fraudology listeners can help in their own way. I mean, as I sat here, I was thinking about, you know, some of the listeners that work for website hosting companies or the listeners that work for, you know, different, um, you know, peer-to-peer money transfer and other things. I know you all have a place in the scam life cycle and you don't want to. Those aren't the customers that you want. Um, oftentimes, you know, like Aaron said, there's other forces within the business because you do need to, you know, keep the lights on and keep there not being as much friction. But you can, as you identify your place in the scam life cycle, and I just love Ayelet so much for coming up with that. And I couldn't agree more that it's so perfect. You know, then looking at what does it look like on your platform? And how can you disrupt that? I think that would be my my goal of this episode is, you know, to educate others on just the gravity of this. And, you know, us as fraud fighters probably look at those texts or look at those messages in LinkedIn and roll our eyes and go, oh, you know, I know this is a scam, but there's so many other people in the world that don't. And those are the people who, you know, they may not have much, but they're going to lose it all. I I just, you and I both, I think, share, you know, the empathy gene. (laughs) And Uh it can be difficult in this line of work to have, you know, so much empathy for victims and, you know, for people. But um, taking the shame out of it is something that, you know, is another goal of mine anyway, to not even I try to change language and not say someone fell for something. Like I try hard to not even call it that because it makes it sound like, you know, they were dumb, you know, instead they fell victim to it. If they were mugged in the street or if they were in a bar fight, like you said, I mean, there, there wouldn't be as much shame involved as being in, you know, willingly giving up their money and thinking that they were going to get it back and more. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Erin. Well, I had no doubt that we were, you know, just soul sisters. I've just had the biggest, you know, just really, I can always tell that you lead with your heart first and, you know, your brain a close second. And I am a big, I can relate to that. Um, I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can follow you. That is my best advice I could give is, you know, follow what Erin's doing and the information that she shares. And then is there anything else that you want to plug or talk about before we close out our conversation today? No, I don't think so. I really am grateful for this uh, this hour with you. And I can tell we could spend a lot more hours going into all yes. kinds of different topics. So 
including trash TV, apparently. So um, I am mm-hmm. grateful for this and I sure am grateful for the opportunity to to send this message to people who can who can take their own piece of the puzzle and do something with it. Yes, me too. Well, thank you again so much for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule for this. Um, I really look forward to seeing what else comes out of Operation Shamrock and just your mission to put a massive dent into this transnational cyber terrorism. Thank you. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.